It is great to have you worshiping with us at the church, and we are moving into a series now uh, talking about resting in the grace of God, and part of that is because we've come off of the book of Hebrews, and we discovered the superiority of Jesus, the fact that he's the best of the best, that we have all that we need in him, and what we saw at the back of the book was the discussion or the conversation about the grace of God. And so often in our lives, we think that there's got to be more to our faith. We've got to do something to demonstrate, indeed, that we've either earned it, or that we have it, or that we're approvable to God. And oftentimes what can happen is, in that fact, we can try to add or think we must do more to have God love us. And the reality of that is, is God loves us no more or no less when we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it is hard for us, particularly when life is difficult. I want to take a moment, and this morning we're going to be talking about the sustaining grace of God. But in that, I want to ask you all a question. When you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, did everything go the way that you want? Has your life been exactly what you've expected? Have you gotten exactly what you've wanted? Has everything gone exactly your way? Or has it perhaps maybe not gone your way? Let me ask you another question. Maybe in placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your life actually got harder. It got more challenging. I want to take a moment and I want to just speak to you about the sustaining grace of God. Because it's so important for us, particularly in those moments when the unexpected happens. Pastoring this church for however long it's been, what I've seen are moments of gut-wrenching tragedy. Hard times. Now, there have been moments of joy. There have been moments of blessing. There have been a wonderful opportunities and things happening with people. But I can also tell you that there are moments where you sit there and you say, God, how could that happen? Where are you? What are you doing? Those moments, perhaps, when somebody that you know has lost a child. Those moments where someone that you know, maybe their relationship has struggled and their marriage has fallen apart. Perhaps those moments where someone has been working as hard as they can, and unbeknownst to them, their job falls apart, and they no longer have an income. Perhaps in those moments, somebody that you know and you cherish, who looks healthy on the outside, comes forward and says, I have an illness within, and I've got six months to live. What do we do in those moments? How do we look to God and recognize that in those moments, when life seems to spiral out of control, we can confidently say, God is with us. And this morning, that's what we're going to be speaking about. We're going to be talking about the sustaining grace of God. The question that we're asking is this. When life brings unexpected challenges, loss, or great pain, and God's promises seem distant, defunct, or delusional. How can I be assured that God is still with me and I am still loved by him? I just want to ask a quick question. We're going to do a little uh, participatory sort of survey here, okay? Um, how many people place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If you want, just raise your hand, all right? If you haven't, that's okay. I'm not going to come over and scream at you. We might talk to you afterwards and pray with you, but keep your hand up, okay? All right. Now, how many of you, let's take, put our hands down, after having come to Jesus Christ, 
Has your life gone exactly how you want it and everything that you've wanted has gone your way? Okay, look around. Anybody's hand up? If anybody's hand is up, I would like to talk to you afterwards because I want to know either if you're lying or what is your secret. <laughs> How many of you, after placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have experienced great loss? How many of you, after placing your faith and trust in Jesus, have experienced great pain? How many of you, after placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, at some point has God felt distant to you? How many of you have felt guilty about that? You shouldn't, lovingly. And I'm not mad. But what I'm telling you is you shouldn't. It's our natural inclination to feel that God is distant because when we get into challenge, when things don't go our way, when the world is hard and we've really done, quote unquote, nothing wrong, we begin to wonder and say, God, where are you? I thought that you loved me. I thought that you would protect me. I thought that you would provide for me. And oftentimes what can happen is, is we can begin to think, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I'm the one that has caused this to occur. Now please hear me in this, okay? If in your life you're not obeying God, if you're in absolute direct sin, if you're looking at God's word and it says do this, and you look at it and you say, no, I'm going to do that, Lovingly, I might tell you, maybe you need to turn and repent and come back to God. But so often I see individuals with a heart for God, seeking after him, desiring him in their life, and for no fault of their own, they go through great loss, great pain. And God does seem distant, and sometimes his promises do tend to appear delusional. But this morning, we're going to discover the sustaining grace of God. To do that, I'm going to ask you in a moment to turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 32, and we're going to look at 30, verses 36 through 41, just a couple of short verses. But before we do, I want to talk to you about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet for God, and he had essentially the, the, the prophecies that he had for 40 years, a, a long-standing ministry of prophecy. All right. So let me put it this way, all right? I'm just going to kind of give you an idea, and God forgive me, but I'm going to give it sort of in a modern context. Jeremiah's growing up. He does his thing. He goes to college. He does all that he needs to do. And as he finishes college, God comes forward and he says, congratulations, Jeremiah. You're going to have a degree and a career in prophecy. And for 40 years, okay, so let's say that he graduates at 21, 22 years old, 40 years, his career, to put this in context, is prophecy. That's what he's going to do. Now here's the thing that I want to tell you. You would think that Jeremiah would have an illustrious career in prophecy and that everything would go well and that great things would happen for God and that this big, massive church would explode and Jeremiah would be this wonderful individual and he would just speak with eloquence and everybody would hear him and say, oh my gosh, you are amazing. This is wonderful. And even not, you know, after 40 years, you'd think he'd probably practice enough and kind of figure it out and gain experience and at least get a little bit of traction. But what do we discover in the book of Jeremiah? For 40 years of prophecy, Jeremiah is prophesying during one of, if not the most difficult time 
in the nation of Israel. Israel has essentially been disbanded. They've been moved away because of their sin. And Jeremiah is calling back the people of God. He is crying out to them saying, look, you have essentially engaged in covenant infidelity with God and this is why you are going through a hard time. Come back to him. He cares about you. And guess what? 40 years, we read in the book of Jeremiah that he has this amazing, exploding ministry. No, we don't. In all of Jeremiah's work, we see that he has two converts. Two converts. Baruch, his scribe, and Abed-Melech, or Abed-Melech, an Ethiopian eunuch. He cries out, he tells people about God. He says, this is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. This is why what's happening to you is happening to you. And yet what he sees in his ministry is great pain, great struggle, and great loss. But here's what's interesting. As much as he sees that, he continues to persevere and becomes known as the weeping prophet. Now, I want to be very clear on this. Sometimes when we talk about uh, Jeremiah being the weeping prophet, people think that that means that he was weak, that he was sort of this um, kind of soft character. No, as we look at what Jeremiah says and what he does, he was very strong in God's word. But he weeps because he sees what's transpiring to God's people because of their disobedience. And he cries out to God and says, Lord, I pray that they would come to you. But I don't know about you. Let me ask you this. If you were Jeremiah and God said, congratulations, here's your degree, right? You're now a prophet for 40 years. And as you were telling people about God, the people became more distant. They disobeyed more. And you continued to preach and cry out and nothing occurred. Would you continue in that ministry? Would you continue to think that God was with you? Would you begin to question and wonder, perhaps maybe I should have got a degree in marketing or some other area? Jeremiah continues to be faithful, even though on the outside it doesn't appear like God is doing anything. And what's interesting, as we look at his prophecy, there are these small moments in the scripture where we see the promises of God being made and on the joy that we see in that is this side of basically seeing Jesus Christ our Messiah. We can see those promises fulfilled. But put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes and nothing seems to be going your way. But in it, as God continues to essentially do what he needs to do to the people of God, there are these moments of hope, these moments of joy, but more important, these moments of sustaining grace. Friends, when things are hard, not if they are hard, when they are hard, I want you to remember this and enable you to rest on the sustaining grace of God. 
We're at a time, particularly, where Jeremiah is speaking about the transitional aspect that the people of God are going to go through. The army of Assyria has come in, essentially devastated the people of God, pushed them out of their land, and if it's not been tumultuous enough, the Babylonians are now going to come in and shake things up with the Assyrians and make it even worse. But right in there, we see this small pocket where Jeremiah speaks about God and his love for his people and demonstrates God's sustaining grace that he dispenses on each and every one of us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's read. We're in chapter 32, verses 36 through 41. You are saying about this city by the sword, famine and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. Not a good thing. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. I just want to pause there for a minute. Think about what's going on here. The people of God have been dispersed and eradicated from their land by the Assyrian army. They've been moved from their home. They've been moved for what they perceive God has promised them because they have chased after idols. And now, Jeremiah is there saying, this is why this has happened and this is what is going to happen. The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to make it even worse. But I will bring you back, says God via the prophet Jeremiah. I will bring you back and I will let you live in safety. Pause there for a minute. Put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes because everything that he sees doesn't indicate that that's going to be the case. Friends, today, when we look around and we see what's going on in our world, and as we see what's happening in the Ukraine, as we see escalations happening with Israel, when we see Hamas doing what it's doing, we begin to wonder and say, what's going on, God? Are you there? Do you care? And then let alone, we say, look, internationally this is going on, and now in my life, this is happening. That's not happening. And we wonder, and we say, God, where can you be? And the words that we hear from Jeremiah right here, where he says, I will let you live in safety, seem distant, delusional, or defunct. But friends, what I want to tell you is this. In this moment, God is speaking to his people, talking about drawing them back to the nation of Israel. But what we're going to discover for us, God is also speaking to us. And he's not speaking about a physical land. He's speaking about the kingdom of God and the promises that we have through him. Friends, what I will tell you is we can rest on the promises and the sustaining grace of God and peace will come and we will dwell in a land of safety. But that kingdom is not here. It is God's eternal kingdom which is yet to come. He continues on and he says, they will be my people and I will be their God. 
I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and my soul. Rest on those words. Let those words soak in to your soul. Because what we see in these uh, few short verses is a promise that God makes for his people amidst the chaos that is transpiring around them. And so the first thing that I want you to see, particularly here in the first uh, two verses, verses 36 through 37, is this. That God often allows challenges, loss, or pain in our life to draw you closer to him. I think we could all be honest with ourselves that as we've kind of surveyed the room and we've discovered that everyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has not had the life go the way that they want, how they want, where they want, and when they want it, but rather individuals have experienced loss or pain or hurt or they've wondered where God is. That's a very key indicator that indeed God works that way in a manner to draw us closer to him. The next question that I want to ask you this morning is this. In those moments where you were hurting, where God did seem distant, having gone through it now and being able to look back to that situation, how many of you can raise your hand and confidently say, as hard as it was, as much as it hurt, as much as I questioned God, I can clearly see that he was with me. That's how God works, to demonstrating his love and his sustaining grace. God's grace, his unmerited favor, will sustain you and I, period, by what we're going to see in the promise that he makes. J.I. Packer, in Knowing God, says this, I am graven in the palms of his hands. Now he's speaking essentially off of a comment that's made of the prophet Isaiah in 49.16. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. Don't miss that. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. Let's look at this text. The people of God have gone away from him. They've turned from him. They've said, look, we want this, but we want something better. You're not enough for us. And because of that, they've gotten themselves into a mess. And like I said before, the Assyrian armies come forward. They've moved the people of God out of their land. The Babylonians are coming. And you would think that God would say, I told you so. Good luck. But what does he do? 
He doesn't turn his back on his people. He doesn't say, sorry, three strikes and you're out. He says this. I will bring you to a land of safety. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will give you a heart. You will fear me and you will know me. I will be with you forever because you are mine. All our knowledge of God depends on his sustained initiative in knowing us. Jay Packer continues on and he says, I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. Friends, when times are hard, when God seems distant, when your world is spiraling out of control and you wonder where he is and you're crying out to him and you've said, I've placed my faith and trust in you, come back to this verse and come back to what J.I. Packer says. I know him because he first knew me. And he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, And there is no moment when his eyes are off me. There is no moment when God's eyes are off his possession. You. When you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Or is attention distracted from me? And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Let that sink in for a minute. Take that and insert that into the situation that we see in Jeremiah. When everything around him and all is going wrong for God's people, God says, I am here and I care and I will bring you to a land of safety and I will be your God and you will be my people. And so in that, what I want to tell you is, as we've seen, as we've raised our hand, we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, things don't necessarily go our way. But what we've discovered in those moments, after having gone through it, we discover indeed that God is with us, and it draws us closer to him. One more question for all of you. How many of you have drawn closer to God because of the hardship that you endured and recognized that he indeed is faithful to you? Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's in these moments, in those moments where you're wondering, in those moments of hardship, this is what I want you to see, okay? This is where we're headed with these next couple of verses. In these moments, remember God's sustaining grace. Remember his sustaining grace. And just to kind of help you with how we're building these pieces, remember his sustaining grace that, dot, 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 and the next sort of portions that I'm going to give are based off of that promise. So everything is going to build off of this statement. In these moments, I want you to remember God's sustaining grace, that, and this is what we see in the scripture. First and foremost, verse 38. Promises to be with you because he, meaning God, has established a covenant relationship with you. 
In verse 38, God says, they will be my people and I will be their God. That's a bold statement to make. But one of the things we need to remember and recognize about God is God's character does not change and his promises do not falter. When God says or establishes a covenant, he will keep it. And so one of the things that I want to remind you of is that as God says this to the nation of Israel, he says, you will be mine and I will be your God, period. Think through this for a moment. Jeremiah is prophesying things aren't going well. God's people have been dispersed. The Babylonian army is going to come. It's going to get way worse before it gets better. But we see on this side of Scripture the fact that afterward God restores the people to their land. God brings them back, establishes them once again in their country. And then we see that it happens all over again. And yet, in 1948, we see that God reestablishes the land again. At no time, even though the land is gone, does God turn his back on his people because he has said what he says right here. You will be my people and I will be your God. And so one of the things that I want you to remember in those times where it's hard, in those times where you wonder where God might be, in those moments where you feel like God has abandoned you, his sustaining grace, because you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, and you have received that by grace through faith, and the grace of God is able to sustain you, period. We continue on, and in verse 39, we read these words. I will give them singleness of heart and action so they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. When we place our faith and trust in God, the sustaining grace promises to change our heart and cause us to love and to fear him. That is a promise that God makes that is a promise that God gives. That is a promise that God does. And here's what's interesting. We read this, right? And we wonder. I will give them singleness of heart and action so they will always fear me for their own good and for the good of their children after them. And we wonder. But what we discover is that he gives us his son and he gives us the Holy Spirit that indwells us when we place our faith and trust in him. That changes our heart and puts us on a trajectory away from the world and toward God. We receive a deposit when we place our faith and trust in him, which is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Demonstrating that we are God's possession. And so one of the things that I want to ask you is this. When God says, I will give them singleness of heart and action, 
so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. My question to you is this. We're not after perfection. But is your heart, after having come to God, more affectionate toward him as you walk with him through moments of challenge and difficulty? It is because of the sustaining grace of God that is within you. We continue on to verse 40. And notice what God tells us. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Don't miss this. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Think about that for a minute. Because in the moments where we're struggling, we need to remember God's sustaining grace. And in this part, we see promises made by God. So he won't turn away from you. And you will not turn away from him. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus in a genuine way, we are his. He won't turn away from us. And because of the deposit of the Holy Spirit and the sustaining grace of God, we will not turn away from him. Rest in that. Rest in the promise that he gives knowing that he is with you and that you are with him. The other thing that I want to encourage you in is this. Don't miss the words. What is a covenant? Just at its core. It's a binding agreement. A covenant is a binding agreement that an individual says, I will do Acts. It's a legal transaction. This isn't something that says like, hey, you know what, um, for a little while I'm going to be with you and I'll do my thing and, and if it works out, great. And if you guys benefit me, wonderful. Um, I'll do what I can to benefit you. But you know what, if the partnership isn't working, there's sort of an escape clause in there. There's a scapegoat. There's a way that I can get out of this relationship just in case you guys start bringing me down. That's not a covenant. That's an agreement. It's a contract, but not a covenant. And here's the other thing. Great, so God's made a covenant. That's wonderful, right? It's a legal binding document. I will be with you. And many people think, well, maybe there's an expiration date in there somewhere, right? Maybe down at the lower part of the paper, it's like this covenant is there, but it's only good for the next three weeks, or it expires on said date. But what God has said is, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, a legal binding document that will not expire, and this is what I will do. I will never stop doing good to them. Let's just, let's just stop for a minute right there. 
I will never stop doing good to them. God will never stop doing good to you. Wait a minute, God, my life isn't good. I've trusted in you, and this is what I've got. I put my faith and trust in you, and I've lost my job. I put my faith and trust in you, and I've lost my spouse. I put my faith and trust in you, and this person has died. I put my faith and trust in you, and this person's betrayed me. I put my faith and trust in you, and this hasn't happened. I've put my faith and trust in you, and that isn't. I will never stop doing good to you. God is a good God. God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. And friends, what I'm going to tell you is perhaps sometimes the good that God does is the hurt and the pain that we might endure to draw us more closely to him so we can exalt him more and worship him in spirit and in truth. And that, friends, is good. And in the end, when you draw your last breath or Jesus returns, you will be taken to the land of safety. You see how that works? God will never stop doing good to you. Even when we wonder where God is and why things aren't going the way that they should. In the moments that you're struggling, we need to remember the sustaining grace of God, and we've seen in verse 38 that God promises to be with us because he's established a covenant relationship with us. God promises to change our heart and cause us to fear and to love him. One of the things that I want you to see particularly in this is the fact that love and fear come together. Reverence, awe. And then in verse 40, again, we've seen God promises not to turn away from us and we won't turn away from him. At the end of the day, those of you who are his will not turn. You might wonder, you might wrestle with God, you might question God, you might yell at God, you might wonder where God is, but you will not turn from him. Need I say, as we look at the characters in scripture, how many of them had a glorious and glamorous life? How many of them retired with a nice 401k and played golf on some golf course? for the last 30 or 40 years of their life. Doesn't end well for a lot of them. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have to end well for you. Praise God if you love him and you get to play golf for the last 30 or 40 years of your life. But so often we think that in coming to God, it means that our life should be what we want, how we want, and where we want it. And when God doesn't do what we think he should do, we begin to say, where are you? And you must be distant, defunct, or delusioned. 
And yet, what God does is he says, I'm right here, and what I am doing for you is good. And I will always be with you, and I will not forsake you, because you are mine. And then here's, here's the, the, the kicker. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will assuredly plant us in this land with all my heart and soul. If you have your Bibles there, I, you know, I'm not going to belittle verse 38. That's like one of people's favorite. You know, they will be my people, and I will be their God. That's a beautiful verse. But personally, I think verse 41 is also quite beautiful as well. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. What does that mean? God says essentially, yes, it's going to get hard. Yes, the Babylonians are going to come. Yes, things are going to become more distant. Yes, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, but things aren't going to be that great. But I will tell you that a time is coming where I will plant them in the land. And I will do so with all my heart and soul. Now, don't miss this. God doesn't say, I will plant them in the land when I have a moment and when I have a time. You know what? I'm a little busy. It's on the back burner. It's sort of this thing that I'm thinking about, but I got other stuff to do. And so when I have a brief moment to get it done, I'll figure it out and I'll just do it to have it over with. That's why I love this verse. I will plant them in the land with what? All my heart and soul. How does he do that? God has just made a covenant. God has made a legal binding contract that will be everlasting. It will not stop. And then God says, I will plant you in the land with all my heart and soul. That's a big statement and a big ask. And so what does he do? Through the sustaining grace of God, what I want you to do is to remember and recognize what God has done for us on the cross through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Remember, okay, this is the, the, the important part. Remember the promise that Jesus is, uh, makes in Luke twenty-two twenty. 20. Okay? Before we go there, remember what we talk about once a month at communion. We talk about the bread and the blood, right? So in Luke 20, 20, uh, uh, sorry, 22, 20, what does Jesus say? He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So if God has made a covenant, an everlasting covenant, in the Old Testament to essentially the people that he speaks via Jeremiah, 
Sometimes we might sit there and we might think, well, okay, that's for them. That's for, for those individuals, but that's not for us. It is for us. Because right here in Luke 22 through 20, Jesus says, the cup is the new covenant. The new covenant I am making. I'm not eradicating, eradicating what's been stated. I will do what I've promised. But I am making a new covenant with you in my blood, which is poured out for you. So this means that when we have placed our faith and trust upon the shed blood of Jesus to save us from our sin, we inherit the promises made by God in the Old Testament. And so here, in this instant, in this moment, we as followers of Christ inherit the promises made in Jeremiah 32 through 38 through 41. Except for our land is not the nation of Israel. Our land is the kingdom of God. Because of the new covenant that is made. Here's what I find interesting. God says, I will put them in that land with all my heart and soul. Right? Go back to Jeremiah. I will put them in that land with all my heart and soul. How does God put us in his land with all his heart and soul? He gives us his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to establish a new covenant through the pouring out of his blood. And that's what we have because of what Christ has done. And so one of the things that I want you to be reminded of in those moments where things are hard, where things are challenging, where things are difficult, the promise that is made by God to his people, but the promise that has been made to you because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the new covenant that's been established through the blood of Jesus of which we trust in by faith through grace in our Lord and Savior. And we have that and we continue in the sustaining grace of God because of the promises that he has made. When Christ sheds his blood for you and for I, that covenant is being made so that when we place our faith and trust in him, we can have the promises and the blessings of God by placing our faith and trust in him. By grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ. Friends, when life brings unexpected challenges, loss, or great pain, and God's promises seem distant, defunct, or delusional, how can we be assured that God is still with us and we are loved by him? Go back to this verse, and again, as I've said before, remember that God might allow challenges, pain, hardship to draw us closer to him. But then look back and remember that in those moments we need to rest on the sustaining grace of God that promises to be with us because God has established a covenant with us. It promises to change our heart and cause us to love and to fear him. It promises that he, God, will not turn away from us and we will not turn away from him. The perseverance of the saints. And it rejoices in doing good because God has placed us in an eternal kingdom with all his heart and soul.
The land that we inherit is not the land that God was promising his people here. The land that God's people inherit is his eternal kingdom that has been given to us with all his heart and soul through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The take-home truth that I want to leave you with is this. In hard moments, remember the sustaining grace of God which promises to be with us. It changes our heart toward God and God rejoices in doing good in your life. Whatever hardness you might be going through right now, whatever challenge you might be going through right now, may you be reminded that God is rejoicing in doing good in your life if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And God's grace will sustain you. And God's grace will provide for you. Why? Because God has made an everlasting covenant, a legal contract that says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And because of that, you will dwell in a land of safety. That covenant has been essentially firmed or reestablished or demonstrated to incorporate us through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by shedding his blood establishes a new covenant in his blood. So let me tell you this. The next time that we go to communion, and we hear the words, drink this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood, drink of it, all of you, that statement right there is speaking to all of what we've just talked about today. The sustaining grace of God that is with us until the end, until the moment that we go to him in the land of safety, which is our eternal kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we thank you for you. We thank you for the aspect of grace, unmerited favor. But Father, in that, may we also be reminded of the sustaining grace of God. May we be reminded in those moments where we wonder where you might be, where we wonder what you might be doing, where we wonder if you have left us or you have forsaken us, that you have promised to be with us and you've established an everlasting covenant with us because of what Christ has done on the cross. And Father, in those moments where we might be tempted to think that God has left us, may we look back and say, no, in your word you said that we will be your people and you will be our God. Father, may that bring peace and comfort to our soul. May we realize indeed that you will lead, guide, and direct us and promise to be with us as we travel this world. Father, whatever we might be going through at this moment, whatever challenges might be before us, may we look back and trust in who you are and the covenant that you have made because of your sustaining grace. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.